of the microphone as myself, Michael, and Beth return to you after what has been, uh, I think, like a month and a half, maybe even two months hiatus. A lot has happened. I, ironically, when I was creating the show uh, today, I realized that the very last show we did, the show that we left off of, uh, the 15th episode, was the Keith Yandel was traded show. And I think that a reasonable excuse is that it just broke us. That whole trade just broke <laughs> all of us. We had nothing left. There was nothing. We just couldn't do anything. And we, we had to move on and take some time off. So welcome back, everybody. I apologize for the... The very long hiatus. We are back in action for the rest of the year because hockey is right around the corner. We just finished the Traverse City Tournament. The World Cup is in full swing and preseason starts, uh, I think, Friday. So there's a lot going on. I am joined, as always, by Beth Macklin and Michael Murphy. How are you guys doing today? Good. Good. All right. Good. Excellent. Yes, we're all very nervous about the things that we're going to talk about. Uh, quick programming note. I know we talked about this a little bit b- before we hiatus, okay, but yeah. we're probably going to, well, I can tell you the show is going to be Wednesdays from now on, uh, from 8 o'clock moving forward. Uh, it works for Beth. We need Beth because Beth makes us sound smarter, and that's just the way that it's going to go. So Wednesdays, in the event that you cannot listen Wednesdays, you can download us on iTunes. You can subscribe to us there, Stitcher as well. Uh, I'm working to get us on Google Play, but for some reason it's not giving us uh, the authorization for the website, so I'm working with them on that. But iTunes and Stitcher for sure, and you can say nice things. Leave a five-star review and do say something nice, and Mike will give you a virtual hug and kiss. Beth might too. I don't know. She seemed pretty happy that she didn't have to, but um, that's really where we stand there. Uh, I guess we should dig into the Traverse City Tournament, which ended. The Rangers finished 2-2, two and two, uh, fourth place in the entire thing. There was a round-robin uh, series that the Rangers went 2-1, and one, and then they lost to the Baby Blue Jackets in their playoff game. Everybody makes the playoffs. It just figures out how you seed, and they, uh, they finished fourth. I think there were a lot of good things. People were waiting to see Jimmy VC, uh, Pavel Buchnevich, maybe even Robin Kovac, Sean Day, Mate Stromall. Uh, but I think the biggest positive that you can take, because, again, the, I said this on Twitter, the, the tournament – no one cares how the Rangers did, whether they finished in first place or last place. That's really not the reason why you care about Traverse City. You care about Traverse City because it's your first look at your team's best prospects going up against the other team's best prospects. And Jimmy VC was the best player on the ice for any team. He tied a Rangers record with seven points in a single Traverse City showing. Oscar Lindbergh and Derek Stepan were the other two who had that total Uh, We were talking a little bit before the show. I think the stack keepers were a little high, so they got his goal totals right. I think they might have missed an assist or two, but were you guys happy to see uh, a guy who is ultimately going to be one of the most hyped players for right or wrong next year dominate the way that he did? Uh, Beth, we could start with you. Uh, You know what? It's nice to actually get, you know, the product that's, you know, what it says on the label, and I think in this case we did. Um, he's, I don't think there were many doubts that he was NHL ready. Um, but yeah, it's really nice to actually see the proof. It's really nice to know that he's, you know, going to hit the ground running. Um, Stepan and Lindbergh are not bad company to be in, in this case. He delivered. Um, and it's nice to not have to worry about what he's going to look like when he gets out there as much as we would if he hadn't had a great tournament. Mike? I think it's an encouraging sign. Like I, 
you know, it's one of those things where you try and think of the level of competition there, and you want him to do well, especially because the fact that, you know, he's 23, um, so he's older than not everyone in the tournament, but he's older than a lot of, like, I would say what the average age there is um, by by a pretty wide margin. And uh, there's a few things to keep in mind, like uh, Joe had pointed out, that obviously they're not going to goof up the, you know, tracking goals, but, you know, he led the tournament in goals and assists, I mean, goals and shots, which is great. Um, and according to uh, the Traverse City stack keepers, he shot 25%, which is a little a little crazy. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think it's really promising that he looked so good among you know, some pretty pretty solid prospects in that tournament. I guess before we get into Buchnevich, there was this... I'm actually surprised. A lot of Ranger fans were intelligent about the way that they looked at some individual players' performances. And you look at a guy like Vici, you look at a guy like Buchnevich, you look at a guy like uh, Stromwall, some of these older players who are more mature, not just in terms of playing the game but in terms of their physicality and obviously a 22 year old is much more physically developed than a 17 year old or an 18 year old and these guys should be dominating this tournament you would really hope that jimmy vc that pavel buchnevich would be the best players on the ice for that reason and i don't want to take any bloom off the rose because i feel like in a sense that kind of diminishes what you saw vc was the best player on the ice 90% 90% of the time that he was on the ice. And that includes the other team as well. Uh, I mean, he scored five goals. He had a goal in the shootout. He was all over the place. Him and Buchnevich had unbelievable chemistry. And I'm going to get into why I think that is in a minute. But I don't want to take away from the fact that they did what they were supposed to do. They dominated the tournament. And you look at uh, some players from the past, and this was another example I brought up, you don't always attribute Traverse City success to actual success. Uh, I remember Anthony Duclair being shut out in his Traverse City games two years ago. And obviously he went on just a couple of weeks later to dominate in the preseason. And now he's a very quality NHL player. So when you think back and you look at all the players who have run through Traverse City, you're not going to always see the superstars dominate. Obviously, Stepan Lindbergh is, like Beth said, good company to have in terms of points for the total tournament. But it would have been very possible for VC to come in and not be as good as he was as much as it was that he was as good as he was. So I think it's very encouraging. And I thought that he was physical. He was in front of the net. He showed off all different types of ways he could score. He was a playmaker. It's just what you want to see out of him. And right or wrong, he's going to be very hyped this year because of the way that he came into the NHL, because of the way that the Rangers got him, because all of these free agents are, remember what it was like for Kevin Hayes and to see him start this way is good for both his confidence and the Rangers. Now, at his best, I thought him and Buchnevich had salivating chemistry with one another. And <laughs> Buchnevich uh, officially has zero points, according to the stat sheets. We know that's not true. I have some gifts from uh, Alex Nunn, the residential uh, European correspondent for Blue Shirt Panther at twitter.com slash AJ underscore Ranger. If you go, you can run through his gifts and you can see – some of the assists that Buchnevich had, some of them on VC goals, ironically. Uh, ultimately, you, you would have liked to see Buchnevich put more points on the board, but I, this is going to sound weird, but I thought Buchnevich was too good for the tournament. Like, he was too smart. He was passing the puck to areas where guys should have been and they weren't. 
he was creating space and looking around and he had no support because guys had already given up on the play. And I think that comes with the fact that he's been a relatively great player in a men's league, really the second best hockey league in the world. And he comes into a tournament like this and he's getting used to North American ice and he's playing with guys who are kind of ECHL washouts or guys who are just trying to stick with their junior teams or whatnot. And I was very encouraged by what I saw from him. I I wish he would shoot the puck more, but there's going to be a bit of a transition for him because he's coming from that wider rink, that bigger international ice to a North American game that's a little bit more physical and it's a little bit tighter because you don't have as much room. But overall, I was really happy with what I saw from him. I know you guys didn't get a ton of opportunities to watch the tournament itself, but do you have any thoughts on what Buchnevich brought to the table, what you expect from him? Do you think maybe we'll see that third line of Hayes, Buchnevich, BC that we've been dreaming about after the two of them showed some good chemistry in Traverse City? (laughs) Beth, you can kick us off with that one. Uh, I'm just going to laugh at you for the verb salivating, actually. Uh, I can't say that uh, I was salivating. Uh, I do agree um, that it was good to see him out there. I thought they had good chemistry together. But, again, I didn't see that much of the tournament, so I'm going to throw this over to Mike. I mean, from from the things I saw, you know, like Joe pointed out, I think we, we wanted to see Buchnevich look really good because, you know, because of his experience in the KHL and because of, you know, how, how, you know, highly touted he is. And, you know, if, if you can get past the, the questionable stat tracking uh, done by whoever did that, um, <laughs> uh, it's, I think there's a lot of things to like about his game. Like uh, just like scanning over, uh, you know, some of uh, Alex's gifts and stuff, you can see that, you know, he made, created, made defensive plays that created rushes, you know, like Joe said, he was clicking with VC. Um, he very clearly at least had one or two primary assists that he wasn't credited for. And I liked the way he looked uh, on the power play. And I liked the way he, you know, he, with a little more time and space, he, he really looked a lot more comfortable. Um, he still looks like he's a scarecrow, more or less, and he he's going to need to <laughs> to maybe maybe get some more, develop some muscle uh, for for the physicality of of the NHL game and the smaller rink. But you know, I think it's really important with these young players to remember. You know, he's he's 22, or what is he now? 21, even 21. It's you know we can be patient with players like this, even if there's, even if we're excited about them and we expect them to be great. It's a, you know, there's, there's still plenty, you know, there's still a lot of things to like about what he did in that tournament, even if, you know, his didn't really explode on the, uh, the box score. I I think there's going to have to be something of a transition from the way the Rangers have thought about young talent in the past to the way that they're going to deal with Buchnevich because it's not going to surprise me if he struggles out of the gate in the preseason. He's getting used to North American hockey, and it is very different from what you're dealing with in the KHL. The normal response is, okay, we'll just throw him into the AHL, but Buchnevich is a clause in his contract that in the event that he gets sent to the AHL, he can return to Russia. So I don't really yeah. see the Rangers risking that outcome in this scenario. And I look at the body of work that Buchnevich has put together in terms of Traverse City, what he's done overseas, and I do expect him to blossom this year. 
I think the Rangers would be very happy if they could get 80 points out of Buchnevich and VC combined. But I think Buchnevich can be that player if they give him time. And I just, I hope they will. I think they may be forced into having to because he can't go to the AHL. But as we've seen with Vigneault in the past, he doesn't necessarily have to play him. Emerson Needham sat in the press box for most of his career in New York. And that's a concern to me. So to see him play well in Traverse City makes me feel pretty good because it's a good stepping stone to where he's going to be when he comes into the preseason. But I think the Rangers need to be careful about the way that they handle him because this is someone who you expect to be a top talent in this league. You really do. You look at a guy like him, you look at the body of work he's put together overseas, you could see him being a 30 or 40 goal scorer in this league. And those players are not everyday players, especially when they're homegrown, especially when they're cost-controlled, which is exactly what he can become if the Rangers play their cards right. So I was happy with what I saw out of him. Since we were on the subject of older guys who did what they were supposed to do, uh, Boo Nieves, Cristobal Nieves, his his nickname is Boo, uh, was the captain of the team. He played pretty well. Uh, Malte Stromwall played pretty well. Again, these are older guys who are more developed, who – you'd like to see play really well. I think I'm very excited for what Hartford's going to be because those guys are going to be the depth down there this year. And they're really going to emerge into what's going to hopefully turn around the Rangers farm system, which has been a tire fire the past few years. <laughs> and the one guy that we really haven't talked about, but I think his, what he did in Traverse City was the most impressive just because of who he is, is Robin Kovacs, who's a 19-year-old, who isn't that older player you would expect to be uh, more developed in this type of a situation, but who has two years of men's hockey under his belt and has done some incredible things in Sweden himself, who I thought was just a ball of offense. He was everything you could want out of a player like that. Um, He was quick enough to get through the defense. He's almost a guarantee on the breakaway. He scored two goals. He's going to be a really good player for the Rangers. And I think this is going to be a year of him seasoning in Hartford, but I do expect him to make a difference in a year or two. And when was the last time that we were on this type of a high in terms of having all of these players who could come into the system? It's been a long time since the Rangers have had prospects worth graduating into the program. And you have Brady Shea, who's coming up next year. You have VC, you have Buchnevich, who are all going to be on the team next year. And then you have guys like Kovacs, you have Nieves, you have Stromwall. You have plenty of players in the minors who are going to come up and maybe make a difference. So I think it's an exciting time for the Rangers, just in regards of where they are as a team, because they're still a young hockey team, and where they're going. If they would fix the friggin' defense, it would make things a little bit easier. But we're not going to talk about that just yet. So I'm going to throw the floor to you guys just if you have any final Traverse City thoughts or anything you want to add about those guys before we move on to the World Cup of Hockey. Well, I just want to second the point that that you made is that, um, you know, these guys can perform as well as they want to in Traverse City. And even once they get to the NHL, and it's all going to come down to how Elaine Vigneault deploys them um, and what kind of time he gives them to develop and get used, you know, get their feet under them and whether they're going to feel like there's uh, an X hovering over their heads. Um, I don't think we had a good year last year of giving people, you know, time to develop, time to figure out where they were, um, get oriented, be comfortable. And if we do have all these, you know, young kids in line 
um, I think the team is going to have to get better about figuring out how to ease them into the system, how to figure out what they have to offer, how to use them effectively and keep their confidence up at the same time, because I don't think we saw that last year. It was definitely not one of Vigneault's strong points, and it is a little scary because you're dealing with players that you would think could have long-term implications for this hockey team. You see the change that Kevin Hayes' presence made the past couple of years with what the Rangers thought they can do and what he brought to the ice. You'd think VC, I don't think VC is as good of a player as Hayes is, but I do think that he could be an impact player for the Rangers in his own right. And Buchnevich, you would hope, is the best of the bunch. But they need to be given that opportunity to succeed. And I'm someone who believes Edom could have been a useful asset to the Rangers had he been given a chance. I'm someone who believes that Dylan McElrath could be a useful asset to this team if he's been given a chance. And you get that pit in your stomach because you just don't know. You don't know how this is going to go. And you don't know what Vigneault is thinking. And I don't know if this past year really shook the foundation of this team the way that it should have because – the biggest decisions that they had on their chopping block, which was Stahl and Girardi, they made the wrong decision on. Or at the very well, least, couldn't make the right decision. So, well, go ahead, Beth. No, well, I mean, I just want to say is how much do we have to worry that we just talked entirely about offense in terms of prospects? And yeah, that's, not I, about I that's defense fair. when defense is already a gaping hole and, frankly, where we would need, you know, Brady Shea and his, you know, Superman cape, there's really only so much that poor kid is going to be able to change, uh, right. if anything. Uh, my biggest – I mean, I do want to just jump in for one second and say Sean Day looks pretty good. Uh, he was the Rangers' first pick this year, I think 80th overall. Uh, he was the player who had exceptional player status, who was the first player to be given that title and not be taken first overall in his draft year that – Status basically meant he can play in juniors as a 15-year-old instead of a 16-year-old. And I'm really excited to see what he can bring to the table because he is literally the complete package who just hasn't put it together yet. John Gilmore yeah, is good, too. But again, like, he's not – at best, John Gilmore is heart for depth. So Day is really the only guy you saw at Traverse City. And maybe Zabrowski, um, to a lesser extent, who you'd think would be on the team in a couple of years to really make a difference to the point that you made, Beth, and and this is something that I've brought up a few times, the biggest loser of Keith Yandel being traded away is Brady Shea. Because for as good as Shea is, as good as you think he can be, he's never going to be Keith Yandel. He's never going to get that offense. He's never going to be, even if he's given those opportunities, he's not that type of player. And that's not to say he can't be a 25, 30-point guy, but he's not Keith Yandel. So few people are. And that's why it's insanity to get rid of him without having a backup plan like Shattenkirk. But the second biggest loser is McDonough. Like the story that I posted two days ago, he now needs to lead the penalty kill charge, lead the even strength charge with Dan Girardi as his partner, and now lead the power play charge. It just doesn't work. There are so few players in this league who can do all three of those things. And I'm not trying to insinuate that, McDonough is not a very good player. I would not put him on the level of P.K. Subban, who I think is one of those defensemen who could do all three of those things. But if you gave P.K. Subban Girardi as his defensive partner, he would have some problems, too, dealing with everything else. (laughs) So I just don't see the recipe for success here, and I don't see 
like where the logical line of thinking was. And when you really sit down and you look at it, Brady Shea is the guy that the Rangers are going to expect to take on a bigger role and be part of this power play on offense and defense. And who's he partnered with? Stahl? You're going to put him with Holden? You're going to put him with Klein? So I don't know what the plan is. I have no idea. But when the Rangers sat down and they looked at it, they elected not to buy out Dan Girardi for whatever reason. And now we're here. So that concerns me. And like Beth said, we're not talking about the defense because outside of Shea, no one is ready to step up. I like Graves. I really do. I think he's going to be a good player. I I just don't know if he's going to be anything really worthwhile on an NHL level from anything more than a a third-pairing defenseman. Um, You hope Day pans out. And if he does, I mean, Sean Day honestly is – I don't want to say this and make you think that this is what he's going to be, but he's literally a Victor Hedman-like defenseman, maybe with more offense. He can be that guy if he puts it all together. But there's a reason why he fell to the 80th overall pick in the NHL draft this year. He has not put it all together. And he's had a lot of time to. So there's a give and take. But, yeah, not having a first-round pick in the Rangers, for as good as they've done with bringing in that talent to replace those losses in the cupboard – not much of it has been on defense, if anything at all. And part of that, if you watch the World Cup, like my joke has been, Sweden left Henrik Lundqvist out to dry today. If you didn't see it because it was at 3.30, North America-Sweden was the best game of hockey I think we've seen in a really long time, let alone this tournament. Team North America so won 4-3 uh, to three in overtime. But Lundqvist was left out to dry a lot. And you look at that and you're like, well, that's what he's going to have to deal with this year. Like it or not, that's what it's going to be. So let's circle back to the World Cup for a minute. McDonough and Stefan obviously will be eliminated with Team USA. Zuccarello is playing for his life with Team Europe. Lundqvist is with Sweden, who has moved on. And Team North America will be waiting to see the results of the Russia-Europe game to see if JT Miller moves forward. What have you guys thought about the World Cup? Do you like what you've seen so far? Do you think it's sustainable? Um, Do you think it's really going to get the NHL away from the Olympics for a variety of different reasons. And Beth, why don't you kick us off there? Um, Oh, it was so much fun to watch. Oh, well, except for team USA. Um, Team USA (laughs) was like, you know, the worst case Ranger. I mean, that game, that game against Canada, it was slow. It was boring. It was painful. It was not fun to watch, Um, and one of the reasons it was not fun to watch is because Team North America has been so much fun to watch. Um, But the real threat of watching, you know, the downside of watching Team North America is recognizing what hash these kids could make of our defense right now. I mean, the things they do in front of the net, how sharp they are. Someone today on Twitter called it pinball. I mean, they are so quick. They are so precise, crazy speed, amazing puck handling, that McKinnon goal. Oh, my God. I mean, what, we, we have nothing to stop that except for Hank, frankly. Um, so once, you know, the, the joy of watching amazing hockey like that wears off a little bit, start realizing what the Rangers are going to be up against and, you know, then you very quickly try to think about something else and throw it over to Mike. Mike? (laughs) I think that I had pretty low expectations going into the World Cup just because 
you know, it's not the Olympics, and that's something that, you know, a bunch of players, you know, when they're asked about it, it's, it will always be secondary and in importance to the Olympics. And, you know, Ovechkin made the point of saying, you know, no matter what the NHL does, uh, you know, for, for 2018, he's going to the Olympics, and that's just what he's doing. And I think that's something that's important to keep in mind that, Players, obviously, you know, we've seen, you know, people ramp it up. And, you know, Eric Carlson famously, you know, after after the defeat against North America, uh, you know, he said <laughs> he motivated his team with, uh, with a few choice profanities about how they had to get their blank together. But um, it's something that everyone was wincing about and worried about is, is injuries. And, you know, Aaron Eckblad from that, that fun team, North America team uh, left, uh, left the game a couple, couple of days ago with, with a concussion. And, you know, we also saw, you know, uh, Leo Komarov throw a pretty, pretty suspect high hit and things like that. And when those things happen before training camp, right before the start of the season, fans understandably get, pretty grumpy about these really games that don't matter uh, in the grand scheme of things. And they're trying very hard to make us care about these games. And there's been some exciting hockey. I think everyone wants to watch more of team North America and for good reason, but uh, it's, it's not quite, you know, it's, it's on North American ice for one, which is something that uh, we haven't heard a lot of people talk about, but, which you would think would favor uh, Team USA, but no, that has not been the case. Um, so I don't know. I, I think I've, I, my low expectations have kind of been met. Um, I wanted to to have my mind changed about the World Cup of Hockey, and I wanted to be entertained by it, and I was entertained by it, but it's also the first hockey that's, you know, kind of been able to whet our appetite after, after the offseason here, so... Um, I definitely, I definitely see it as something that is entertaining and fun, but in the long run, I'm not sure it's, it has a really sturdy foothold in the, the greater hockey consciousness here. The whole point of the World Cup has been to allow the NHL to move away from the Olympics. And if you're not familiar yeah. with why the NHL would want that, the NHL needs to ensure these players' contracts. So when they play overseas in non-NHL tournaments, it's a lot of money to insure these contracts. You think about Ovechkin, who's making $9 million a year. I don't know how many years he has left on his deal, but I think it's at least five. So that you're talking $50 million that you need to ensure that the, interla- the International Olympic Committee is not picking up and the NHL has to. So from a monetary standpoint, financially, they don't want to play, pay those money. They don't want to do that. So they're trying to make the World Cup of Hockey the new Olympics, basically. And I don't hate the idea behind it. I really don't. The problem is, until you ensure that the Olympics will not be the Olympics, it's impossible to really care about the World Cup, especially when one of the league's premier players is saying he's going to be playing in the Olympics in two years anyway. So I think it's a little bit more difficult for the NHL to sort of get that foothold. But you have more hockey like this. And again, a lot of this is going to depend on what happens in two years, whether or not the NHL can fully back out. Um, 
you know, if the, if the NHL can turn the Olympics into the world juniors, essentially, which is really the business model they're looking at, I don't think that's going to be a bad thing at all. The world juniors is incredibly exciting hockey. It really is. But, you know, there's a big turnover from that and what it is right now. And I'm just not sure the NHL is going to get there until there is no more international hockey like this. And then the World Cup is all you have, in which case people will dive right in. This was always, uh, I don't want to call it a fool's endeavor, but this was always going to be really tough because the Olympics is two years away and players still think they're going to go. Um, so, yeah, I'm not totally no, sure. Players also still want to go, and I think that's, you know, in a lot of, you know, a lot of the media covering it, you know, when players have been interviewed, that's, that's still something that's on their minds. You know, players make it clear that they know this isn't the Olympics, and it's very, very hard to approach the status and importance of, you know, Olympic hockey. You know, Olympic hockey is a very sacred and special thing, and the fact that we only get it, you know, twice in a decade makes it all, all the more special. So, you know, I, I think the NHL is going to have to work really hard to make people care as much or even approach to care as much. And, you know, there's a lot of the things going into the tournament with uh, things like, you know, the Team Europe gimmick and uh, Team North America gimmick. I think both of those things have worked out better than the NHL could have possibly hoped for. Team Europe is fun to watch, and Team North North America is probably the most fun I've had watching a hockey team in years. Then again, I've been watching the Rangers. So um. <laughs> I had a mini uh, I had a mini fight on Twitter. There's a caller. We're going to take you in a minute. Uh, I just want to get this point out because it's topical to what Mike was saying. Uh, a lot of people who don't like the World Cup of Hockey format don't like the fact that Team North America and Team Europe exist. But my argument to that is, like, the, the reason why you can't make it like soccer is because soccer has 30-some-odd teams that go into the tournament. At least 15 of them really don't belong there at all. And if you took Team Europe and you condensed that into the five or six different teams that you could make out of them, uh, you know, you are a little surprised not to see uh, Slovakia or Slovenia or any of that, but you get like Zuccarello, where would he play? He'd be on Norway. If Norway put a team together, they would get annihilated. And nobody really wants to see that. They need this hockey to be competitive, especially up front. And Team North America is so much fun because there is all that talent, that young talent. And I think the NHL should be showcasing this young talent. They need to showcase these guys that are going to be next. And we didn't really talk about Team USA's eruption don't really see a need to I think what uh, we would say has been said but the only point that I'll make there is Canada is so good that they can handle the bottom younger half of their talent to get taken away and still be good the United States cannot handle losing those players on their end of the spectrum and I love Team North America. I would keep it if I had the opportunity to. I think it says a lot that Team North America is as American as it is. And I do think America is growing in terms of popularity in the sport and really elite players in the NHL. Austin Matthews has been one of the best players in the tournament. Uh, you like to see guys like JT Miller on there from a Rangers standpoint, but there are really good American players who are doing good things for Team North America. And that's exciting. You want to see that stuff because it makes you think, wow, the sport's going to get even better. 
these guys are all under 24 years old. You have at least a decade, you'd hope, with all of them. And that's a really cool thing. And I think the NHL did a good job uh, in, in that response or, I guess, that idea of the whole thing. We will take our caller. Uh, area code 973. You are on the air. Who's this? Hey, Joe. It's a long time since I've talked to you. It's Daniel Feuerstein. What's going on, man? Well, hello, Daniel. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Things are fine. You know, uh, listen to the show. And uh, just to throw my uh, Rangers end of things, this kid VC is unbelievable. I've never seen a kid skate so hard, so well, and when he gets to the net, he just finds a way to put the puck past the goalie. It's just been unreal what he's able to do. And I admit, I don't follow college hockey like maybe everyone else does. You know, if there's a player that's going to be drafted by the Rangers and they're playing either in the ECHL in uh, Green um, in South Carolina, forget what, uh, the Swamp Rabbits, uh, a great man, yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know whoever's in the Wolf Pack in Hartford, you know I'll pay attention. But I'm glad they're always at the Traverse City tournament because he showed fantastic stuff. And who's the Swedish kid again? Something Strom, Maelstrom, is it? Something like Malte that. Strongwall is one of them. Uh, Robin Kovacs could be the other one. Whoever you, I think yeah. you're thinking of Strongwall though. Strongwall, that's the one. Strongwall, my God, what a shot! What a great shot. Yeah, where he popped the water bottle. Oh, I saw that. That was awesome. (laughs) You you never, ever see water bottles getting popped anymore because they always have that freaking sleeve at the top of the 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 net. Boy, I'll tell you, he (laughs) had, I mean, snapshot at top shelf. That's what you want to see these kids do. Take advantage of the opportunity they're getting in this tournament. And boy, oh, boy, um, it just looks like the Rangers have really – um, replenished their uh, their talent, and hopefully these kids, if they're not going back to juniors or not going back uh, uh, to college, you know, put them put them in the uh, ECHL, put them in the AHL. I think they're ready to go. I really think they are ready to go, and they're ready to make the uh, to get to the professional level in the minors. Well, Daniel, thank you for the call. Uh, Daniel, he's an old friend of the website. When we used to, back in the day, we used to have uh, SB Nation New York, and I was running some of the soccer coverage, and Dan was kind of my correspondent to the Red Bulls even back then. I think you're still doing some stuff with them. You have a podcast of your own. Uh, what yes, day is I that did. just so that people can listen in, in the event that they uh, want to cross over to the soccer world? Oh, absolutely. It's on Monday nights from uh, eight, 8 o'clock in the East Coast, 5 o'clock Pacific time. It's also here on blogtalkradio.com uh, forward slash Feuerstein's Fire. And um, I'll put in the chat room uh, uh, right right now. And uh, just, you know, everyone listen. I cover American soccer and uh, nationally in the first hour. It's a two-hour show locally on the Red Bulls the second hour. So um, just a lot of fun and a lot of discussion. And before I go, uh, you let me go. Uh, honestly, Joe, I- I'll be honest with you. I felt because, yes, if it's called the World Cup of Hockey, there has to be national teams from the countries. I thought Team Europe and Team North America was a farce. Um, I have changed my mind. Team North America looks a hell of a lot better than what Team USA did. and I'm, <laughs> it's, just, it's just so terrible, so terrible to see the United States national team for ice hockey just look... Um, lifeless. I mean, yeah, great goal that. by Mc, 
I mean, I mean, great goal by McDonough to start the game against Canada. But I think you know as well as I do. Once Canada started putting pucks in the back of the net, they just went back to being lifeless. There's no fight in them whatsoever. It was terrible. Yeah, and that's part of what we were talking about. Honestly, thank you for calling in. It's really good to hear no from problem. you. I'm glad you're still around. Listen to his show if you guys are into soccer, for sure. Um, he's, he's a good guy, and like I said, an old, old friend of the site who's been around forever. Um, to Dan's point, though, and I, I was going to bring this up at some point. He kind of led me to this. The Rangers, in terms of this youth infusion that we're talking about, and VC's a part of it, Stromwell's a part of it, Kovacs, Buchnevich, you look at who the Rangers didn't have go to this World Cup, and Kreider, I don't know. I'm going to look it up right now. If he Would he be eligible for the – Team North America, or would he have to have been Team USA? He's 25. Way, yeah. He's 25, so he would have had to go to Team USA. They could have easily used a guy like him, someone who's a little bit faster, who can break him, who can kind of give you that shot and that goal. Kreider, for all of his struggles, for as much as he has struggled in this league, he at his worst, he's a 20-goal scorer. And he has created offense, and he's been a really good thing for the Rangers. Kevin Hayes, you could have made a, a case for him to be on Team North America probably as an extra in terms of the talent that you're looking at right now, but JT Miller's getting some playing time with them. The Rangers do have options out there in this younger half of the talent that they have who could be really good players on the international level. I think Stefan and McDonough were great choices for the United States. Lundqvist is an obvious for Sweden. Zuccarello for Team Europe just because of the way it went. I was surprised JT Miller made it pleasantly. I, I think he deserved it. But you could have easily seen Kreider and Hayes make their respective teams. You'd hope VC, Buchnevich, Kovacs will be those types of players moving forward. And it's been a while since you've seen that type of an output from the Rangers in terms of their prospects and their age level. But spinning back around to Beth's point, the Rangers have exactly one player who is worth taking on an international standpoint at this stage in the game on defense, and it's McDonough. And that's a big problem. And that's an even bigger issue that the Rangers have not been able to fix. And I'm sure defense is going to be something of a focus maybe in the draft this coming year and and moving forward. But it's unfortunate that that's a part of the game that this team used to be known for that they're really not anymore. There was a time when the Rangers had Strawman. There was a time when, and part of it is the fact that Stahl got injured and Sauer got injured too, but the Rangers defense used to be very formidable and they're just not anymore. So I, 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 think the, um, I think the other thing that was really interesting about this tournament, um, especially comparing Team USA to Team North America as a Rangers fan, um, was looking at the two very different team philosophies, um, you know, in terms of grit and physicality, you know, whatever we're going to call it, and in terms of speed and precision. And, I mean, I know that those are narratives. But on the other hand, you know, they're narratives for a reason. And, you know, I think once the Rangers, we were a fast team, you know, the Rangers had speed. I'm not sure you could say that about the Rangers this year in terms of the quality you would think of first for them. Um, whereas I think that was the case in 2013, 2014. Um, and, you know, we all complained about Tanner Glass for, you know, all the live long day and grit became a sort of humorous hashtag. Um, but in terms of how Vigneault 
deploy people and in terms of what no one could seem to figure out what he was trying to pair up or what the philosophy was or what he was going for, um, definitely with the defense, but, but even with the offense as well, um, that seemed to me to really sort of show that I'm not quite sure what kind of team the Rangers, Vigneault wants the Rangers to be right now or Gorman wants the Rangers to be or which of those teams they're going to be more like. Because I have to see say frankly last year they looked more like team usa and team north america just seems like you know kind of the model of the future what can we do to look like that team usa and and the entire selection process of the team the way the team was coached the way the team was is a cautionary tale for building a team quote-unquote the right way the United yeah. States brass built yeah. the United States team to beat Canada, and Canada spanked the team out of the building. There's a reason <laughs> why guys like T.J. Oshie were saying things like, "If the game comes down to skill, we'll win. If the game comes down, to, or if the game comes down to skill, Canada will win. If the game comes down to grit, we'll win." Don't think that these players are ignorant to the fact that this was not the best team the United States could have put together. They didn't bring Kessel. They didn't bring Yandel. They didn't bring Bobby Ryan. They didn't bring Shattenkirk. And for what? Grit? Size? I love Brandon Dubinsky. I really do. He should have never, ever been part of this team. Or if he was part of this team, it should have been because they were building a comprehensive fourth line that could handle the defensive roles like the Rangers used in 2014. Advocator? Seriously? And you're moving up to the top six? Like, there are so many question marks. And you look at what Team USA did, and then you turn around and you look at the Rangers, and they're kind of the same thing. The Rangers are built to be this gritty, grinding team. And that's what they were last year. That's sort of what they were in 2015. That is not at all what they were in 2014 when they went to the Stanley Cup Final. So at some point, something has to give. You would really think with all the offensive replacements the Rangers have brought in, with all the offensive players that the Rangers are bringing in, all the skill that are coming in terms of the forwards, that this will be a very, very dangerous team. The Rangers, if they pick the right players, will have maybe the most dangerous forward lineup in the entire NHL. And I'm not kidding about that. You look top to bottom, you could have four legitimately dangerous goal scoring all over the place lines. You have the best goaltender in the NHL, and then you have probably the worst defense in the NHL. (laughs) <laughs> and it's going to be amazing to see if the Rangers can outpace their competition. Because you look at what Tortorella did in, in this tournament, and you look at the team that they put together, and it's not just on Tortorella. It's on everybody involved. They built the team the right way, and they got demolished. And as good as Tortorella is at taking the spotlight away from the players, for the media, I, I like Tortorella. I really do. I don't want him coaching my team, but – I like him. I I think in the playoffs, one of the most underrated aspects of him being coach is he had a way of pissing everybody off to the point where everybody was talking about him rather than the struggles of the team. And that helps alleviate that pressure in the room. But in a tournament that could be over in two games, all it does is intensify the pressure. And that's what ended up happening. Mike, I'm going to let you jump in. But before I do, we're about to uh, fall off this – 45 minutes, the show is going to end, and we're going to enter the Tony podcast padding section of the show. (laughs) Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for coming back. Dan, thank you for calling in. Make sure you listen to his show. We're going to go a little over. You will have to download us in order to get it as we pad our numbers. 
You can find us on iTunes at the bottom of every story on Blue Shirt Banter and on Stitcher as well. Just type slash Blue Shirt Banter into whatever social media and you'll find us somewhere. Uh, Mike, go ahead. Well, uh, to stick with the, the World Cup parallels, um, I've been following Team Russia because I was covering them uh, for another website. And uh, it's, Team Russia is a really interesting story when you think of the Rangers' upcoming season because Russia has had just out-of-this-world goaltending from Bobrovsky. And their forward group, as everyone knows, is just has more skill than it knows what to do with. But their defense is you know, is a shit show. They don't, they can't, they can't exit their own zone. Uh, they can't, they can't make any sort of pass through the neutral zone to use the skill and speed of their forwards. And it has made Russia look, you know, I saw an article today, I think it was on NHL.com, that, you know, Russia feels confident heading into their game against Finland. And meanwhile, they scored all four of their goals against Team North America came on four shots and two of them came on lucky bounces. Like it's that team is, you know, a paper tiger if there ever, ever was one. But I think about what the Rangers lost in Yandel and Boyle, who people still don't talk very much about, but the Rangers really lost a lot of ability to move the puck uh, from their blue line. And if that'll hurt on the power play, like, like Joe was saying earlier and, Asking, you know, Brady Shada to be a power play guy when that's just not in his DNA is going to be, you know, it's going to be rough to watch. But I think more importantly is what this team can do at even strength because that's that's where you win hockey games. And there's not enough talent like that on the Rangers' blue line to to use all these fun forwards we have to, you know, to use the team's speed, you know. And I think that's a problem that's, a really big deal and there's no replacing guys like Yandel or even, you know, 90 year old Dan Boyle. There's, <laughs> there's no one coming from within the system. And so you have to look without. And when you start doing that, it's a question of how much do you pay to fix the team? And that could be a, a question that this team faces on deadline day and the price to fix the team might be pretty steep. And I think that's something that we have to keep in mind this year because, you know, it's it's fun to look at the defense and be like, oh boy, here we go again, and just you know, you know, light candles for Ryan McDonough and what he's going to have to go through. But there's there's so much more to the Rangers' problems on defense than just them not having a power play guy. It's the ability to get the puck out of the neutral, out of the defensive zone and through the neutral zone. If you can't do that, you won't win hockey games. And if you've seen any of Russia play in the World Cup, you'll understand why. They're outshot 19-4 to in their game against Team North America because they had a one-goal lead and they thought, we'll, we'll sit on it. And they were outshot 19-4. to uh, You know, and that's, that's a period of play. So, you know, when we talk about things like how important possession is and how important speed and skill are, but you can't use these great forwards if they don't get the puck. And I think that's going to be a problem. The Rangers will be battling all year long. Well, and here's the other thing, and Mike, you brought up a good point. I talked about it a little bit in my 
article on Monday about Larry Brooks' assertion of pure insanity that McDonough's the guy who has to step up for the defense. But the Rangers system is built on moving the puck from transition from the offensive zone through the neutral or from the defensive zone through the neutral zone to the offensive zone. Two of the three best defensemen who could do that are no longer with the Rangers in Yandel and Boyle. And like I said in the story I wrote on Monday, if you think about the Rangers defense, close your eyes. It's last year's defense without their best defenseman and everybody's a year older. And that's what it is. And that's where you are right now. It's very difficult to get excited about that. And you saw some of the flaws the Team USA defense had. You saw the flaws the Rangers had last year. I really do think watching Team USA is like looking into a mirror in a lot of ways of a team that people think is built, quote unquote, the right way. That's just not good enough. And eventually you need to learn your lesson. Somewhere down the line, you need to learn your lesson. The Rangers were not good enough last year. They did nothing to fix their biggest problem. That leads me to believe they did not learn their lesson. So what happens? We don't know. Dan Girardi is not going to be a third-pairing defenseman next year, at least not to start. There's no way. He's going to be with McDonough. I don't know where Shea is going to be. I'm assuming he's going to be with Stahl on the second pairing or God-willing Klein, but I can't see them putting Klein on the – or I can't see them putting Stahl on the third pairing either. So I don't know. But you look at all this evidence, this plethora of evidence, and if last year it happening to the Rangers wasn't enough, looking at teams that are not built with speed and skill, getting dominated in these tournaments, is a problem. Yes, Canada may have the same backwards ideologies that Team USA does, and they might back into really good teams because there's too much talent for them to obliterate. The United States do not have that luxury. And when they go in and try to tinker the mold and they try to figure out what exactly they can do to make the team tougher and grittier and more hits and more block shots and more grinding, when they do that, they get smoked by Canada and they lose to Team Europe. And now they're here. And you look at, like Beth said, Team North America, a team that's built on speed and skill. And they might not move forward either, but they're winning hockey games. And they're a fun team to watch. And that's a team that can be successful. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I, I think I'm writing a story about it's really the season preview, and, and it's sort of it's gotten a little bit out of control. I'm already at 1,500 words, and I'm still going. But it, fun, part, of, part of what I'm talking about in that story is Vigneault needs to be one of the people who really makes a transition. You talk about all the players that need to step up next year or this coming year. Kevin Hayes, Chris Kreider, JT Miller, all that stuff. Vigneault needs to step up as well, and he needs to change, and he needs to be better than he was last year. And I'm already not fully comfortable with what he's going to bring to the table just based off past experiences. But for the first time in recent memory, the seat might not be hot under Vigneault, but he has a seat under him now, if that makes sense. There was no seat to get hot until the very end of last year. And I think his leash is a little bit shorter. I think maybe he needs to think in the back of his head, oh, crap, my job might be on the line if we don't do as well this year, if we don't make the playoffs, or if we get bounced in the first round again. And I'm really hoping that pressure forces him into realizing, okay, I need to adjust myself a little bit. Because in a lot of sense, in a lot of different ways, the NHL is an old man's game. John Tortorella has not changed from when he got fired in Tampa, from when he got fired in New York, He's still got a job in Vancouver. 
He got fired in Vancouver. He still got a job in Columbus. There are guys out there who will take guys like that because they have the same ideology and they think the same way, even though the results pile on that it's not working. So Vigneault could very easily do the same thing that he did in Vancouver that he's doing in New York and not change unless Jeff Gordon takes the gun out of his hand with Tanner Glass and Jeff Gordon did not take the gun out of his hand with Dan Girardi. So I don't know where that leaves them. I really don't. Uh, We are well past the time, but I I do want to talk just very briefly. I'm sure you guys saw the, uh, the training camp roster by position, a bunch of different, a few free agent invites we didn't really know about. One of them guy by the name of Reed Duke that I'm really excited about. Um, He was part of the Minnesota organization. I think uh, was a point per game player last year for in the WHL. I'm excited to see what he brings to the table what are you guys most looking forward to? What players are you most looking forward to in terms of training camp starting and everybody kind of jumping into the swing of things? Beth, why don't you kick us off there? You know, I mean, this is going to seem sort of retro at this point. Um, I really want to see Dylan McElrath get to do last season sort of over again. Um, I don't have very high hopes. Um I would have loved to see him play with Yandel for another year. I mean, what wouldn't we have wanted to see with Yandel for another year? Um, but I loved that pairing. I don't he think... He'd be driving uh, the Zamboni. I'd want to see him. If they kept him just to drive the Zamboni, <laughs> it would make me happy. Well, but you know what? That wouldn't make me happy because I think this is a kid who's falling through the cracks um, because we have so many defensive problems and, you know, he's got a lot of talent and couldn't quite fit in. I mean, you know, he was a rookie. He did not, I mean, considering what our defense did this year, he did not screw up spectacularly. By he any was a stretch bright of the imagination. Matt so might've been the Rangers best pairing at times when they played together last year. That was my favorite thing. And, you know, I really hope that this year he gets a more honest shot and he doesn't have to, you know, you've talked about the weight that Brady Shea is going to be bearing. Um, And I think that's true. But at least we're talking about Shea as if he's having a permanent place in the lineup. Dylan McElrath is still a question mark, and he shouldn't be. If he's a question mark, he's a question mark for all the wrong reasons. And, I'd really like to see the beginning of this year some sense that that's not going to be the case anymore. Um, I think I'm excited about something that's a lot more boring. (laughs) I'm really looking, number one, I'm really looking forward to the day when uh, Maxim Lapierre is released from his PTO. It'll just feel good. Um, But I'm also really excited to see. You know, I forgot about that. I totally forgot that that happened. (laughs) Whether because subconsciously I didn't want to give myself an aneurysm or just the amount of time that passed. But I saw his name pop up when I wrote the story about the roster. And I was like, holy crap. I totally forgot that the Rangers actually did that. But go go on now that you've you've ruined the show. The show has been totally ruined. They, They did that. Um, but the thing I'm most looking forward to is figuring out what the hell we have in that bottom six and getting, you know, a real look at guys like Juris and Gervy and Grabner, um, getting a look at, you know, what will be, because it's, it's not a big storyline because of the fact that it's the fourth line, but, you know, the fourth line is going to look a lot different 
um, than what we saw last year. And it's because the centerpiece, Dominic Moore, is, is gone. He's with Boston now. Um, he was a late signing by the Bruins. And, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of competition for, you know, it's a game of musical chairs in the bottom six. And we want, obviously, you know, VC and Buchnevich and Hayes to to be the third line. And, you know, it would be really exciting if they were. But, you know, there's no guarantee that that's going to happen. And I think right now almost everyone has a different idea of what the Rangers' fourth line will end up looking like, especially, you know, the, the health of Lindbergh is still – you know, kind of hard to peg down. Um, and, you know, there's there's a lot of guys for very few spots, and a lot of these guys are, you know, NHL-caliber guys, and, you know, Peary coming in late with the, that late signing. You know, where does where does a guy like Peary fit who's obviously good enough to be on almost any NHL roster? So um, that's one of the things I'm most looking forward to. I'm also just kind of praying that, you know, Everyone did know what Nick Holden was, and he turns out to be something special, but we all know that's not going to happen. That doesn't really happen with guys who are his age. Uh, But, you know, we did pay an interesting price for him. So um, I think more than anything, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing who shakes out of this this forward group and getting a a real idea of what we have, uh, especially in terms of the guys who are going to play wing because – you know, it's. I think most people know who our top three centers are going to be, but you know, especially if we expect you know uh, Zabinajad to to just fill uh, Broussard's role. But um, I don't know. It's it's really interesting with all these boards in camp. It's been a big story over the off season. Is where the hell do they all fit? I think that's the second most thing I'm excited about is going to be to see what's going on with the defense or the bottom six, rather. There's so much we didn't talk about today that we'll have to get into next week, but you, I've made this point before Gordon has made some unbelievably savvy moves in terms of the forwards. And Peary is one of those guys who can easily get a late first round set or second round pick of the deadline from a contending team. And the Rangers got him for pennies on the dollar. And every year, these guys fall till the end of July or August, and they sign these really cheap deals. And then teams are begging for them at the trade deadline. And nobody seems to realize uh, we can get these guys really cheap during the summer. So I'm excited to see how all that shakes out. There's so many players who could fall in the bottom six to the point where, uh, really, you're talking about the fourth line, because you'd think VC and Buchnevich and Lindbergh are going to be the guys, or at least Fast are going to be the guys on that third line, you're talking about the fourth line, and there's about six guys for those three spots. So I really am curious to see what happens there. I do think this is the end of the Tanner Glass experiment. I just don't see any way he makes the team. I it don't think I've ever been. I don't think I've ever been this confident with that assertion before since he's been here. But honestly, I don't see a way Vigneault can keep him without the garden burning to the ground. But the one thing I am most <laughs> excited about is Mika Zibanejad. And we didn't talk about the Broussard trade at all. We're going to have to get into that next week. No, just yeah. sort of like post-mortem. But I forgot about him until now. And he is one of those ridiculously exciting players who at 23 has already basically maxed Broussard's output, is still growing, and hasn't broken out yet. And he's that 20, 30, 50 player who can easily be a 30, 30, 60, or, or maybe a little bit more. And 
I'm really stoked to see what he brings to the table. I think you're right, Mike. I think he's our second line center, but for all the flaws the Rangers have top to bottom, they're a young team where it matters. And Stefan Zibanejad and Hayes is the Rangers center depth down the middle for at least the foreseeable future. Stefan's the oldest of the group and he's 26 years old. Not a lot of teams can boast that type of depth down the middle. And the Rangers can. And if guys like VC and, uh, Buchnevich pan out the way you want them to of Kovacs and Stromwall, you get even younger. So I think there's a lot of things to be excited about for as much as I'm concerned about where the Rangers are heading because of their defense. I'm very, very, very excited to see what they're bringing to the table with the offense because it's, you just expect so much from them with the players that they have. It, it really is a positive. Um, Thank you all for listening. I, I appreciate you. Uh, Beth, do you want something? I, I heard your side. Do you want to add something? <laughs> no, that's okay. I'm good. As a married man, I'm, I'm well-trained in those uh, those little subtle signals that you may have something it was, you want it to was say. A I don't, I don't want to get in trouble. It was a Rangers defense sigh. It's a permanent um, sigh. No, Nicole, thank you guys. everything. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys for sticking with us for the uh, little hiatus. We appreciate it. Like I said, we will be back Wednesdays at 8 o'clock from here on out. Uh, you can download us at iTunes.com slash BlueShirtBanter. You can subscribe. Please leave us nice ratings and all that fun stuff. You can download every show at BlogTalkRadio.com slash BlueShirtBanter. Or if you read any article on BlueShirtBanter, uh, the podcast automatically uploads underneath the story um, and all that fun stuff. You can read Mike and Beth on BlueShirtBanter. You can also read them at BlueShirtBanter.com slash Riveters. Mike writes for... Oh, my God. Today's Slapshot uh, for the National Women's Hockey League as well. <laughs> he is uh, Twitter.com slash DigDeepBSB. Beth is – oh, my God. Beth, what's your Twitter handle? Beth Macklin. Beth Macklin. There it is. Twitter.com slash Beth Macklin. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook. You can do a lot of things. But please give us nice ratings on iTunes and Stitcher. It helps people find us. Um, you can subscribe to us there as well on Stitcher. And like I said, I'm trying to make Google play work. Thank you all for tuning in. I appreciate it. And we will see you next week as we get the ball rolling again here and hopefully have some more good news to talk to you about. Uh, well, good night, everybody. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Good night, everybody.